Welcome to Securing Digitalization, the Siemens Cybersecurity Podcast. coming in from vendors and vendors of vendors and vendors of vendors of vendors. So there's a lot of complicated steps that need to be done now in order to make sure that you are not vulnerable she, to this guy. She used the phrase everybody. Does, does she mean everybody? She really means everybody. I mean, this is millions and millions of devices around the world. It's this common little piece of software that software programmers just cut and paste and add it to other kind of products and it goes everywhere. Uh, it's just ubiquitous. And that's the problem. Do you also get this sense of fear and gloom when you listen to this snippet from CNBC that was back in December 2021? And the reporter, Eamon Javers, spoke to Jen Easterly, the CISA, Director CISA, that's an American federal agency which looks after cybersecurity. And Jen at the time said this is the most serious vulnerability that she's ever seen in her decade-long career. And they were talking about Log4j. It's a bit like in cybersecurity, like waiting for a meteorite to strike. And in December, that moment has come for my guest, Stefan Ludwig. He's the chief cybersecurity officer at uh, Siemens Financial Services. And the meteorite did strike for him on the 9th of December, 2021. Hello, Stefan. How are you? Thank you, Andreas. Thanks for having me. Stefan, so what was the meteorite for you? Where were you on December 9th, 2021? No, I know exactly where I was. I was working from home, had just made a cup of coffee. And the next thing I knew, I got an email from Natalia Oropesa, our global chief cybersecurity officer, marked urgent. That's never a good sign, right? No, it's like, oh, <laughs> no, 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 that's not good. I knew something was up right away because she does not send such emails often. And there was really a big problem brewing. Our message was about a security vulnerability in a software component called Log4j. And Log4j. That's a comp- Log4j. Log4j. And Sounds very innocent. Why, what's the <laughs> yeah, issue? Very cryptic. That's a component that's installed on millions of computers around the world. And this meant that the products and systems of Siemens would certainly be affected as well. And what was especially scary, cyber criminals could really very easily attack systems running the Log4j component by sending just one malicious message, often taking full control of the system as a result. Help me with this Log4j. It was in every system, but why? What does it do? What made it so useful? That's kind of a standard component that's included in all types of software to log important data, to keep a track of what happened in the application. So the software component is sometimes very much hidden inside other applications, so people would not even know that they are running Log4j. So it's like a diary where the application writes, oh, no, I did this and that and that. At that time, like when we write our diary, it's crucial, but you don't really care about it until something goes badly wrong. Exactly. Where were you physically when you got that email on December 9th? I was in my home office at that time, yeah. It was still locked down in parts of the world. And when you read it, what was your first thought? Oh, my first thought was, oh boy, there goes my Christmas vacation. Because it was immediately clear that this was the beginning of a race between cyber criminals attacking any affected system they could find and everyone in charge of running or protecting those systems. So it was really, let's get to work right away. And we rounded up all our colleagues around the world and then tried to identify the affected systems and fix them. So you had like just a few seconds between, oh boy, here goes my vacation to, okay, let's do something about it. 
And what did you do about it? We do have standard processes in place for that type of vulnerability or that type of incident, if you will. We knew to whom to reach out and what questions to ask. What we did not know, of course, was who really was affected. So it was all hands on deck. Everybody had to investigate if they had that Log4J component hidden somewhere and then find the right way of fixing that component. The image in my head is like you've got thousands of boxes and you have to crack them open to see whether what you're looking for is inside. Do they have this little time bomb inside? And sometimes you did not know, do they have the time bomb inside? And then you say, well, we'll take this offline until we know. Yes, and some of the boxes... (laughs) you could see from the outside, oh yes, it's running there. So we could do automatic scans and identify those. That was the easy part. Then you could directly focus on fixing the system, right? But then there were also those where just nobody knew, nobody would expect that it is in there. And that means really opening all the boxes. Yes, absolutely. Did you still make it to your Christmas vacation after all? That sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) Yes, we had fixed all the systems by December 23rd, so right in time. As a result, everyone working so hard on protecting our company and our customers could enjoy a well-deserved holiday break. But it took a huge effort by the entire team of IT, business, cybersecurity colleagues to get that job done. Stefan, you're the chief cybersecurity officer of Siemens Financial services. And that's important because most of the people that I talk to, they help make factories more secure, trains more secure. For you, what is it about? Are you protecting the digital saves, the accounts of Siemens financial services from thieves? Why do we need you at financial services? Sometimes people think it's more like a bank where you could put your money as a private person. But Siemens Financial Services focuses really on its business customers. So we don't have private bank accounts that would attract cyber criminals. But what hackers could do, for instance, is try to steal or manipulate the sensitive information of our customers or our own internal data. Just to make sure I understand. So it's not like uh, I go to Siemens Financial Services and, ah, look, here's 1,000 euros, 1,000 dollars. Can I get interest in it? No, it's more like... I want to buy a train or more like I want to buy 10 trains, but can you help me find money and I'll pay interest? And that's something SFS, Siemens Financial Services, would do for customers. Absolutely. So where does the cyber risk come in? Can you give me an example, Stefan? Hackers could, for instance, try to steal or manipulate the sensitive information of our customers, their customers, or our own data. And if they did so, then we would lose the most valuable asset that we have, really the trust of our customers. So at its core, what we need to protect. Wait a second. How do you get all the sensitive data? Because what customers want from you is just the money, right? So we would find out about the money, but not really about important intellectual property of the companies. Or would we? Oh, absolutely. That's one of our strengths, actually, that we work very closely with our partners, with our customers, to find good, innovative financing solutions for them. So you're not just sending a check. (laughs) Can you give an example? eh? We are not just sending a check. It's really about the long-term business relationships in most of the cases. Maybe I'll give you an example. With Siemens Digital Industries, we recently helped a manufacturer of packaging equipment to set up a pay-per-outcome business model for its customers. What's that? I know paper use, like every time you going on the tube in London, paper use, every time you go and use the train, you pay for it. What's paper outcome? What is that? 
Paper outcome goes one step further than paper use. You pay only for each time you get the outcome you want. So in the example I was mentioning, it was about a company that makes dry soup mixes. And in a paper outcome scenario, the soup maker will only uh, will not only buy the entire set of packaging equipment before they can pack its first batch of dry soup, but what they do is they pay the maker of the packaging machine just a few cents for every successfully packed portion of soup. So only if they get the outcome they want, they pay the manufacturer. Ah, so it's cool for the soup manufacturer because I don't have to spend a lot of money up front and take care of my machines and hire somebody who does maintenance. Instead, I pay per package, like a cent or two or whatever it is. And then for the producer of the packaging machine, I see an issue here because in the past, they would have gotten, what, 100,000 or whatever the price of the machine up front. Now they're getting just a couple of cents. They need money now. They come to you. That's not a disadvantage for the equipment manufacturer. That may actually be just what they are looking for. A more long-term relationship with their customers instead of just buying a machine once and then moving away. The manufacturer of the equipment and the soup manufacturer enter a more stable long-term relationship. The manufacturer of the packaging machine understands much better how the customers use it and the packaging equipment manufacturer may even be able to sell or provide their services to customers that otherwise could never afford a machine to be paid upfront. So it's an innovative business model. Everybody likes it. And still, the maker of the equipment now doesn't get those 100,000 upfront and would talk to Siemens Financial Services. And that's how you come in. And that's where the cyber risk lies. Tell me more about the risks. The beauty of developing those new innovative business models together with partners, creating ecosystems and establishing long-term partnerships is also that we can experiment, that we can explore new ways of working together. And with those new ways of working together come also new types of data that need to be protected. Here in our example, the data about how many packets of soup get packed on Monday, how long does the maintenance break take on Tuesday. So a lot of business internals that really need to be protected. And it's also vital that this data is always correct, so that every involved party can have complete confidence in the data and can be sure that in the end, the right amount appears on the invoice. So for these new financing models, companies have to open up a lot more. We talk about ecosystems, we talk about trust. But if I want to trust Siemens Financial Services, I must trust your cyber defenses. <laughs> Tell me more about that. How do you keep Siemens Financial Services cyber secure then? Well, one thing that I think customers like about us is that at Siemens Financial Services, we have the same high level of cybersecurity standards like all the other business units. So for a customer, it doesn't matter whether its valuable data is stored on a system that's run by Siemens Digital Industries or at Siemens Financial Services. The data is always secure and well protected, no matter where it stays at Siemens. So super high standards, the same standards that keep trains secure because lives are at stake would keep the business secrets of Partners for Financing Solutions secure. Part of your work, Stefan, is to think what we don't like to think about, the scenarios where everything goes wrong and the hack happens. What are typical scenarios you prepare for when it comes to financial services and cybercrime? 
one specific, quite advanced scenario that we hear more and more about, it goes like that. Instead of aiming at their actual target, attackers will train their sites on the email accounts of employees of a partner company. So it's like an attack on the supply chain, so to speak. And if such an attack succeeds, the attackers will then have access to the complete email history between the company and its partner and gain really deep insights into the topics and projects and everything that the two have discussed. Let's maybe apply this to our soup example. So imagine now I'm a hacker and I try to make money. Who am I after ultimately and who is the vehicle to who do I talk first to make that happen? So in many cases in scenarios like that, the attackers are really after the money. They would try to, for instance, make one company send money to a bank account that's controlled by the attackers. The trick is really in making that company change those bank numbers. Let's maybe, if you don't mind, apply to our example if appropriate. We have our soup manufacturer and then we have the manufacturer of the packaging equipment. Then we have Siemens Financial Services and we have an attacker, a hacker that wants to make a quick buck. So I imagine here seeing like hundreds of emails and we have uh, Bill and Jeannie and uh, Bill sends me, oh, I look forward to the new machine because we're going to package chili con carne <laughs> in the future. And Jeannie raised back, it's going to be amazing. And look, if you go above 200,000 packages, we'll give you a discount. And they write back and forth and I can read all of that. How does that help me as a hacker? Well, establishes context for the attacker. So if I want to convince my victim, in our case, the manufacturer of the packaging equipment, that I am a real person from one of the manufacturer's partners, in our case, the soup manufacturer, then I need to write an email that sounds exactly like all the other emails, that looks exactly like that. And I should also be able to make reference to a project name. I should know the correct account numbers that are involved involved in the business relationship. And if attackers know all those emails with all those details, it's really easy for them to use those as a kind of a template and create very convincing emails that then ask the packaging equipment manufacturer to, let's say, change a bank account to pay the next bill. So somebody could pretend I'm Genie now and I write to Bill and I know how Genie writes and I know the account and say, oh, hey, I'm going to be on holiday, but uh, can you do me a quick favor? Can you do the payment to a different account? The 50,000 go to the new account in whatever, Belgium, and then boom, and it's happened. Exactly. And that makes that type of attack so effective and so difficult to detect because I read that email and I think, yeah. That person knows all that stuff. That must be the right person. That must be Genie. The email comes from the actual email account of Genie. So why would I not believe that this is from her? And it could be instead of having the soup manufacturer as the vehicle, somebody could try to use Siemens Financial Services as the vehicle. Could pretend I'm Stefan now. So that's why you work hard on cybersecurity. Exactly. And it's helping our business. But at the same time, it's also important to keep everyone safe. You know, nobody is alone in this. And if by hard work on our end, we can make our customers more secure or even people we don't do business with yet, that's also a big plus. The scenario we talked about was drawing on social engineering, impersonating, getting hints, cues, and behaving in a certain way to get to your objective. Has something like that ever happened to you or a colleague in your direct environment? 
We have seen such types of attacks before. In that case, a colleague who received that email, that very well-crafted email, thought, however, mm, that's suspicious, that doesn't look right, and reported it. We then warned our external partner who was the target of the attack. So this is really where the many cybersecurity trainings we have conducted uh, pay off. That's brilliant a success. And, you know, like with these trainings, to be honest, when I was in the receiving end of these trainings, you click through and you get these storylines and then you get all these do's and don'ts. And often people don't take it so terribly serious. But then if you have this one moment where somebody identified a real risk, ah, it all paid off all the time. And please invest because all the money that could be lost and worse, all the reputational damage. That's why the human factor is so important. And that's why we say our employees are really the first and the last line of defense we have when it comes to cybersecurity. But they are not the only line of defense we have. In the scenario with the bank account, sensitive processes like such a bank account change are safeguarded in such a way that a single employee cannot make such a critical change just on the basis of a single email. So it's about people, technology, and also security built into processes. I was already drafting an email to you, Stefan, asking you to transfer $2 million to my currency account in London. But yeah, I see. You wouldn't even have the authority to do it. Exactly. No one single person should be able to do that, yes. <laughs> Talking about the human factor, you have been working in cybersecurity for two decades, more than 20 years. And well, that's amazing. At the same time, I wonder, why didn't you explore something else? What kept you there? What is it that fascinates you so much that you gave two decades of your life to this topic? We kind of touched on that already. To me, it's really that combination of technology and people that really appeals to me. Cybersecurity cannot be achieved just by technology. People always play a very central role in it. But you could work with people in other divisions. If that's what really drives you, then what kept you hanging around in cyber? Oh, there's always something new in cybersecurity. You're never done. The environment constantly changes. Attackers constantly develop new types of attacks nobody has thought of before. And also the defenses we have at our disposal constantly evolve, become better, address new threats, new challenges. So it's an ongoing fight between those who try to attack and those who want to defend. In this arms race between attackers, defenders, what have been big changes in the last couple of years that you observed, Stefan? Really a lot has happened. And that's just one additional thing that makes it so interesting to work in cybersecurity. One really important change was, for instance, the transition from a one-size-fits-all approach to really a risk-based strategy. And that's something we introduced at Siemens years ago. So we apply more resources to areas where attacks are more likely and the potential damage is higher. So that I understand when you say risk-based approach, what I could do is I could put unlimited resources to plug every potential hole and every potential zero. Instead with risk-based approach, I say, what's likely to happen? How big is the impact? Let's go there first. Absolutely. And of course, nobody does have unlimited resources. So we have to spend our time, our money and everything very wisely. And we spend that in areas where it is most necessary and where we can protect the most valuable assets that we have. But when you say risk-based approach, it implies that, well, we will never be 100% secure and somehow need to explain that also to regulators in the dozens of countries where Siemens is doing business, where Siemens Financial Services is doing business. 
Oh, yes. And the good thing is regulators also understand that there can never be 100% security. So what they are aiming at is an adequate level of security, just the level of security that the business needs to thrive and to protect its critical assets against attacks. So that's where also the regulators are moving more and more to. And while we are doing business in a lot of countries with also a lot of different regulations, those regulations actually help us become better. So we accept those challenges also. Risk-based approach, this is something that is now common practice. What do you see for the future? Which other changes in defensive strategies do you expect? What I'm really excited about is the work we are currently doing in the area of zero trust. Sounds horrible. I thought we want to trust more. Yeah, that's a typical first reaction. Therefore, at Siemens, we often describe the approach also as never trust, always verify. And if you like, I can give you a simple example where you, at least in part, already applied it today. When you log onto your bank account, you have to use two-factor authentication. So you use a PIN plus an authentication app. In a zero-trust environment, the bank would not only verify that you really are who you claim to be, they would also check what device you're using. And if you log in, for instance, from an unsecure laptop that's missing some security updates, and then they would maybe still show you your account balance, but they would not let you make any large transactions to better protect your money. So it's about reasonable doubt about good data regarding requests, actions. We will understand better what's going on. And then risk base also means, well, I'm not going to shut everything down immediately because I might be wrong, right? I may have misjudged the situation and then I just limit what users can do. So risk base approach in it, but also less trust, more checking, more verification. Yes, and that gives us so much more flexibility in protecting data and systems. And therefore, we are working on establishing that kind of security for industrial networks of our customers, but also our own systems to make us more secure. I would like to learn more about Zero Trust. And after your holiday, because I, I know you're almost sitting on packed bags and off to holidays, I would be really keen to follow up and go a bit deeper if you're up for it, Stefan. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. It's a fascinating topic. And what if, what if you get another email from your chief cybersecurity officer during your holidays? Are you going to open it or not? Uh, I couldn't resist. But at the same time, <laughs> I know that our team is able to handle those challenges. I have full confidence. I have full trust in the cybersecurity capabilities of Siemens. So whichever meteorite's coming, you're not the only one to catch it. And I love your little twist on zero trust and full trust. So I trust you have a nice holiday. I trust we go deep on zero trust. And I want to thank you for your time. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you so much, Andreas. Thanks for having me.